Hello and welcome to the first episode of The Point of Everything of 2017. My name is still Owen O'Sullivan and today's guest is Ushin Fagan. We're starting the same way that we started 2016, I guess, with an interview with one of my favourite authors. Ushin Fagan is still relatively new, as in this time last year, I don't think that I come across his name, but... Uh, his first collection of stories, Hostages, not short stories, they're pretty long, as you might hear during the interview. Uh, they range from 17 pages, which is the shortest, to 90 pages, which is the opening story called Being Born. So there's only five stories in the collection, and all of them just, they're riotous, I think is probably the right word. As in, there's a full-scale revolution in Being Born, which is led by... Uh, fourth year secondary school students over their soup being confiscated. So that maybe gives you an idea of the imagination that Fagan has. The sky over over our houses is also pretty madcap. Like getting through it the first time, it was like, what? what is going on? There's literally bodies falling from the sky over all the farms of uh, County Meath, or definitely of Moilani in County Meath. Costello's then, which we also discuss during the interview, is is the shortest story. It's 17 pages, but it it follows about four or five hundred years lineage of this family, the Costello's and the kind of the tragedies that befall them. So we discuss that as well. And then there's two other stories as well, which I don't think that we get into and which you don't need to know about but when you read the book uh, you might well be blown away by them I came across Fagan after he won the Penny Dreadful novella prize for the Hierophants which I subsequently reviewed uh, for an online um, publication it's hilarious and it's Flan O'Brien-esque and it's everything that you could uh want with like a debut novella particularly for Fagan I think as well it really announced him as someone with this uh like just he really let his imagination run wild so yeah you could you can buy all these um hostages is released by uh is published by New Island you can get it in all the bookshops and the Hierophants is available from the Penny Dreadful website, which you might need to Google. And no, it's not related to the TV show starring Killian Murphy. I don't think, anyway. So yeah, um, hopefully we'll have loads more reviews for you over the course of 2017. Still feels kind of weird saying that. Um, and also, if you have any ideas of people that you think would be good for the show, or where you'd like the show to go which direction i always tend to discuss the creative process and kind of the state of say the publishing in ireland whether it's as great as it is or if it's music that we're talking about the state of the music industry if there's any other kind of direction you think the podcast would go um feel free to get in contact with me the, uh you can email the point of everything at gmail.com or get me on twitter at tpoe blog Let's get into it with Ushin Fagan now. We did it in his uh, gaff in Dublin. I started by asking Ushin about the recent feature in the Irish Times online, which was headlined, The Best Young Writer in Ireland? Question mark. So how does it feel uh, 
being called the best young writer in Ireland on the Irish Times a couple of weeks ago? Uh, it feels great. Well, there was a question mark after it now, <laughs> which uh, it stops the heads well enough too much, but it was it was wonderful. Um, it was a real gift from the journalist Ian Malini, who's a journalist I, I've been fond of his work for a long time. So it just feels absolutely wonderful. But, you know, it you've always kind of got to keep in mind that it's one particular view that's saying that and it's not a it's not a bigger thing so you take these compliments and you treasure them and you just leave it at that and keep going but you don't you don't like ring up all the publishers who you might have had rejection <laughs> letters from and you're like did you see the Irish times <laughs> no 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 I think it's very important for new writers and actually all writers I think it's very important that they respect rejection letters and realize that rejection letters are happening for a reason, not just because your genius is being ignored or something silly like that, but maybe your view doesn't align with someone else's view. So I'd be very, I don't know, I have a lot of respect for rejection. And if you want to be a writer, you have to get used to it kind of constantly. But is, are the rejection letters kind of just one person's view as well? Yeah, they like, would be. Is that be. how it works? Well, it, it depends. It depends. Now, I'm not, I don't know a massive amount about this, but... If you get read, you might just get read by one person who's doing something. Um, the person who reads all the submissions, if they're unsolicited, uh, if it's then maybe two or three people will read it if it gets past a certain phase and then a decision will be made. But usually the person who is reading the unsolicited submissions is very important and their view will probably shape a publishing house. Like if it's an Irish independent publishing house where you accept unsolicited manuscripts, their eye will shape the publishing house is what I would say. So it might just be one person, but it's indicative of a larger thing, probably. I wonder, has has just the idea of new writers changed a lot in like the past 10 years? Like, I think I saw something that, you know, um, a publishing house wants a writer to be on Twitter and wants the writer to be constantly engaged and everything like that. Have you have you found that? Like, I know that you're on Twitter and, and stuff. Were you like, oh, I've got to push myself, <laughs> I've got to push my public persona or something? Yeah, well, to a certain degree, yes, and to a certain degree, no. Now, I don't know in the last 10 years, because like 10 years ago, I would have been 14 or 15. So I kind of like grew up in this world of Twitter and Facebook. But... I honestly don't know if I would stay on Twitter and Facebook without having a product to sell any anyway. But I like you know, I'd be I'm on the, I was on those things before anyway. I don't feel any pressure. The only thing I'm gonna do with all this kind of stuff, my very 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 limited audience, my very small audience, mm-hmm. is that I am going to be myself and just be. I'm not going to pre- try and pretend to be like a cool writer or something. I'm just gonna keep going and like have writing as one of my many interests kind of like I always did you know so no there's no pressure and the publishing houses aren't putting you under pressure um if you get a book out they'd want you to be doing the events but you should be wanting to do them anyway you know after sitting indoors for a year or two you know what I mean um what are the literary events like do you you enjoy going to them it's lovely you know you kind of See, I hadn't really kind of gone to too many events. I've been to one or two, but before before I got this book published. But they're lovely. Everyone is a real sweetheart. Everyone just believes in Irish fiction. They believe in local fiction. They believe in the form. They're really pleasant. Um, readings are interesting because 
they're very different from reading a book. Like a book is a solitary thing and that's why we all get into it. And then you're up there reading and it's strange because you're not delivering the book, you're delivering a passage which can work on its own or it can't work on its own. But it's a strange little thing. Still, it's kind of worth it because everyone, at least in Irish independent publishing as such, like I said, they're really, really sweet and really dedicated. And it's it's just kind of a pleasure to see them every now and again. Do, do you feel kind of part of this new Irish uh, writing boom? <sighs> like, do you think about it? Do you think like, oh, yeah, there is definitely a new Irish writing boom and I'm definitely <laughs> in there? Um... I, you know, honestly, it's kind of like you're sitting on your own in your room having vivid dreams and writing on a computer for years and stuff like that. And you don't really think about that. Now, I wouldn't read a massive amount of Irish fiction, but I definitely feel a massive amount of comradeship kind of with, you know, the writers, maybe a couple of Irish writers that had a big influence on me, like, you know, Colin Barrett, people like that. And I, I love being published in the same year as people who were also on New Island, such as Roisin O'Donnell or Mia Gallagher and stuff like that. But this new wave of Irish fiction, um, where everything is new, 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 and it's all your debut collection and stuff like that, that's a wonderful thing. But I would feel more aligned to the infrastructure that was developed um, to allow that to happen, such as like Sting and Fly, Tramp Press, the new generation of New Island. You know, all these publications, I think, are just as important as this new breed right, of Irish yeah, writer. Yeah. And I think it's a, kind of allowed us to happen, if that makes sense. So it's been a long time coming. Like you have to, like, it's probably 15 years kind of laying the groundwork for the new people to come out. Yeah, it, yeah, it has to, like, to, to get an audience, like it was 15, 20 years of basically, I'm not, not thankless work. You're doing it because you love it. But I mean, I, I assume it's very easy for someone like me, or not very easy, but it's, it, it, it's definitely easier <laughs> In the best new Irish writer. <laughs> it's very easy for me. No, it's not. I don't mean it in that. I just mean like there is a place for me to give a manuscript as a young person. And I know that manuscript will get read. It might take six months or it might take a year. But this is very different from writing in 2009 or even 2004. You know, in 2016, it's a linked up world. There are small Irish independent publishers and your manuscript will get read. And that's just like... That wasn't how it was um, before. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think that there were these small publishing houses with very dedicated people and you knew that there were eyes reading your manuscript that had published other books you might like. So, you know, it's, it's kind of lucky to be coming at this stage, I feel. And maybe it'll be getting even better in five years or so. Hopefully, yeah. Um, it seems like 2016 was a really good year for you anyway. Like you're, it's almost like you're setting too high a bar for yourself almost, <laughs> is it? You know, you won the, the Penny Dreadful uh, um, novella prize. Was that 10 grand? No, it was two grand. Two grand. Two grand. And yeah, being called, the, um, you know, one of the best new, maybe one of the best new <laughs> Irish writers. And also publishing your debut collection of stories. Like, I mean, this must, must have been like the dream year that you could have imagined as a writer like five years ago. You're like, oh man, just if I could imagine all the stuff that I would achieve, I'd say that's pretty successful. Well, I'm blessed. I'm definitely blessed in terms that there's anyone reading my stuff and that there are people liking it. Um, but that thing about it being five years ago, it's like that is five years work, you know, and it all comes together. And that's when you have to feel blessed because there are lots of talented writers 
and there are lots of people with massive skill sets and things might not come together as easily or as well to them. So I'm just, I feel very lucky. But it is like, it is a five-year thing, I feel. Like, you know, when you start taking the writing seriously and when you dedicate yourself to it and, you know, you go back and you go back and you go back, you know, if you put in enough work, you'll get lucky every now and again. So I've been absolutely blessed this year and delighted. So So when did you decide that you wanted to be a writer that you wanted to start writing uh i would have been writing from like whatever nine or ten or something like that you know the way young people sometimes do be doing that um i kind of started taking it very seriously when i was 19 and i wrote a lot a lot a lot a lot until i was 22 all shite (laughs) except for actually maybe the hierophants which i wrote around them and then there's one there's two other stories but that's like out of three books i kind of wrote but it was all shite uh, then I kind of stopped doing it for a year or two um, because I felt and I still feel that it's very important to have all aspects of your life working together and in tangent so you can't just entirely do writing. And then about two years ago, I said I kind of had a new vision, a new place I wanted to be at. And I just kind of sat down and dedicated myself to writing. And so Hostages is the product of that. So it's only two years work. The hostages, um, hostages kind of, I had a moment when I knew I would be unemployed for a month or two um, and I was working and the writing of it took maybe three or four months and then the editing of it would have taken another year, which I kind of did in collaboration, which I definitely did in collaboration with New Island. Um, But you have moments if you work hard enough to get towards them where there's a consolidated amount of work that will kind of come together very easily. Is the editing process something that, uh, you know, you kind of resist at first and you just kind of get into it, you know, after after a couple of back and forths? Mm, I think it depends on who's editing it with you, uh, who's the person um, that your manuscript is in the hands of. So I was very, very lucky. I think there's always a bit of resistance at the start when you're not too sure about who the person is and you don't know if their ideas, vision, priorities align with your own. But once I kind of find out, found out who the people were in New Island, especially Dan Bolger and uh, Shauna Daly, I was just like, it was an absolute dream editing it with them. I loved the way they looked at the book. I loved the, what they wanted it to be. And like facilitating that was an absolute pleasure. So I guess let's talk about hostages a little bit. It's, um, I mean, I know in the Irish Times interview, you say that it's not dystopian science fiction. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, it can be very easy to see it that way, first of all. Mm-hmm. What did you envisage that it would be at the start of writing it? I had, well, I had certain ideas about like, my family history and my place, which was like that grounded me in what I wanted it to be. And then I had a very clear vision that I wanted to write a book that a 14-year-old, maybe grown up in Westmead or Longford or someplace like that, uh, they could read and really enjoy it and kind of really connect with it, while at the same time it was a book that could be read by 30-year-olds or 60-year-olds and stuff like that and just be a bit of crack. Uh, which I might have neglected to a certain degree in my other work. So that was kind of where it all came about. And I had the stories kind of in my head. So that would be, that was, that was it. You knew that you wanted them to be interlinked. 
stories as well. I knew interlinked by place. I knew that there was it would that was it was going to be a place thing. I knew that the time would change, but it would be about one place. Um, and I knew it would be very concentrated, and a lot, a lot, a lot of things would happen. And I, I kind of had three stories outlined in my head, and I just worked really hard on them, and they came together. And yeah, and it's pretty apocalyptic as well. Pretty apocalyptic. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, there. <laughs> It's revolutionary and apocalyptic and stuff like that. The reason I would say it wasn't dystopian or apocalyptic is because there are kind of, I feel anyway, there are apocalypses happening in the world. There are revolutions happening in the world. It just, I think it seems a bit stranger because I localize them on a very small place. So it becomes much more intense and much more dystopian. But I think basically kind of everything in that book in one form or another has already happened. Elsewhere. Elsewhere, yeah. Right, yeah. It, I guess it's just the way that you've actually done it, which is kind of like, uh, it's quite like, I found the first story really, really funny. And I don't, I don't know, am I supposed to? Definitely, like, definitely, yeah. Like yeah. by the end, you're like, Jesus, this is this has gotten very serious very quickly. I was like, I think that there was a point where I was like, I haven't laughed in ages. Whereas the start of it, like the first story is, it's the long, the longest in the book as well. It's I, almost 90 pages. And uh, it's about like uh, a group of transition year students have an uprising, mostly kind of over their soup being taken mm-hmm. away from the canteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Being Born. And like, it's so outlandish in so many ways, but then, and it's narrated by a bomb. It I don't is, think that's yes, a spoiler. And, that's all right. And it's all kind of like madcap and you're not sure where it's going. Like, I mean, did it take ages for you to kind of figure all that out? How to write about a revolution in a school in Meath? Uh, <laughs> and what would they rebel against? Um... No, I knew what they'd rebel against. Very, I knew, I knew that early on. Uh, soup was confiscated in my school around <laughs> a similar time, and there were glimmerings of that kind of stuff. <laughs> was it good soup though? Like, or was it just? Uh, you don't know at that age. You know, in December or November, if it's hot, you'll 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 love it. And and it was uh, yeah. So I kind of I knew that would be in there. Um, it was hard to write. That was the one that was hardest to write. That's the most kind of plot heavy one, where everything seems so insane, but there are so many characters and they recur and they have to want the same things all the time. That one took about a month of like drawing graphs that went through very, very, very different drafts um, with very, very different characters, very different motivations and stuff like that. And it was a process of narrowing it down, simplifying it while also keeping that kind of that real insanity that exists with inside young people confined in a classroom because, <laughs> you know, uh, the most fun part, that that story, um, it's very interesting because everyone's like, oh, it's absolutely mental. It's completely insane. But, oh, well, when I was in transition year, my blah, 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 blah. And everyone kind of has an angle on it because everyone went to an Irish secondary school and they can kind of connect with it, even if it is outlandish. So um, it's a fun story. Yeah. And so, like, how how close to your school is the likes of uh, Steel the drug dealer and stuff like that, you know? <laughs> I, I mean, no ratting, no ratting, no, no ratting. <laughs> no rat All names have been changed. No events um, are we, real. <laughs> we didn't have a canteen in school. 
we, we didn't have a canteen we didn't have soup or anything like. i think we had one for i'm not too sure now i don't want to be libelous or something but i think we had one for like a year or two and then it was actually just it was too outrageous uh the goings on and it had to be stopped it wasn't a full canteen though i think you had a soft bread roll and a soup which was at the impossibly expensive price of one euro, which when you're 13 may as well be a million euros. <laughs> Best years of our lives. Yeah. Best years of our lives. Um, I think that the my favourite part in the book is when Sharon goes on the uh, intercom <laughs> and she's just like, you know, here I'm not, I didn't suck all those guys' dicks or something Yeah, like something that. she says something like that. Something to that They've effect. They've been slandering her name anyway, which she's not fond of. And I like that... Um, just a couple of reviews that I've seen of hostages. Uh, it has been said, and it's quite it's pretty evident to see. I think that there are strong female um, characters throughout the stories too, and it's funny that you you make Sharon kind of the ultimate hero really mm. at the end of the story, yeah. and it's kind of like she comes from nowhere and she's had all this stuff said about her. Yeah, and it's just what she ends up doing like that. That was pretty heroic, you know. Just yeah, going no, on the she's intercom. the only. Yeah, she's the one you're supposed to. Well, for me anyway. Um, she's the one like she's she's the one that you are supposed to recognize yourself in or center yourself around um yeah strong female leads are 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 very easy to write if you have strong women in your life and stuff like that which I have so like you don't even notice you're kind of doing this stuff until it makes sense that like in the community you come from or what you're about it will always have been women that have or in your own life that have been taking care of people or being the heroes or doing the daring stuff. So if you just kind of live a grounded life in a community and you're looking around, you're naturally going to have strong female characters, I think. In a community rather than kind of like, they're not everywhere in society yet, are they? I don't know. Or in in like political life or something. In political life, there's plenty, plenty of very, very, very strong women in uh, political life, existing at all levels uh, of it. I think unless, like, maybe you go to the top society, the top range of society where maybe women's presence is less visible, but in every... I, I, don't, I know, in Irish society, women exist at every stage of it, and sometimes they're overshadowed, sometimes they're hidden, but they are there. there are, there's nothing but strong women around you, if you look. You didn't think of like, oh, I'm a man writing, you know, from a woman's perspective or anything like that. That that doesn't come no, into it. I was at writing all. from a bomb's perspective. No, I don't give. Uh, I don't give a damn. I'll write about anything. Uh, I don't. I don't accept any limits in terms of my art. You can say that's privileged, or you can say it's whatever. But you don't sit down to write and just be like, oh, I can't say this. I can say this and stuff like that. My job is to make the reader shocked think have a good time feel something think in a new way I'm not going to limit myself in any way and you know like all those women I suppose in the book as they are based on you know really strong life models that you kind of grow up around with I don't feel any uh, hesitation or anything about you know amplifying that strength so when I don't know if you saw that Jonathan Franzen uh, a couple of months ago, he was saying that he can't write from this perspective of, I don't know, is it a gay person or something yeah. like that? Like, do you just think stuff like that is a cop out? You can just you can write from whatever perspective you want if you do like a bit of research or you think about it enough. 
I think that's the key point. I think you have to think about it enough. I think you have to go into the skin. I think you have to have something that's more than empathy. I think you have to have like a belief that maybe in a certain example, you are gay. I'm not saying this means you, you're just imagining it or something, but you have to have a massive amount of commitment to your subject matter. Even if they're evil or stupid or whatever, you have to believe in them and be them and then be, you know, you have to put them and make them a cog and a were in a larger narrative thing. You have to empathize with them as well, like even if their their motivations are like heinous or... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, you know, yeah, I think, yeah, basically you kind of have to. It depends what you want. Like a lot of the stuff I do is grotesque caricature. And in that case, you're just having a bit of crack. But you, if you're if you're writing someone from a marginalized perspective, um, if you do make a gross caricature of them, then you are you are a part of a system that hurts people. So you know, depending on who you're writing about, you have to fully just go out and meet them wherever they're at, and then you also have to stay true to the story and to, true to your own artistic vision. Um. The second story, uh, The Sky Over Our Houses, is, it's it's also really difficult. I don't know how to really describe it. Like, bodies fall from the sky on a load of farms in me in Moynalvi. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, yeah, it's kind of, you can see where the allegory is or the, what you compare it to. Like, I mean, I know you mentioned earlier that you were, um, you know, you wanted to kind of write for the 14-year-old in... Me either mm-hmm. West, me either whatever, and you also mentioned um, a few other things. And is it is it kind of like you wanted to tackle rural issues as well? That it's not something that gets tackled that often, you know? I don't know. Like, I don't know. It's just a rural book. I'm from rural Ireland, and they're my issues. They just kind of surface naturally and stuff like that. Um, I did become conscious halfway through that I wanted to write a rural Ireland that was what I would consider to be underrepresented in the in its modernity, you know, and um, I kind of realised halfway through it because that maybe it, it seemed like a different kind of depiction of rural Ireland than the kind you might read about in other places and stuff like that, and I did become quite proud of that. Uh, but that's not on me, that's just if you grow up and look around in rural Ireland, they'll be your issues, they'll be what you are, and... I feel very strongly you shouldn't um, you shouldn't renege on the issues that are the issues of the place where you come from at all. You know, is writing about issues something that you see yourself going a little bit further with? What do you mean by issues? Repeal the eighth is kind of yeah. probably the biggest mm. issue if you want at the yeah. moment, and uh, like there there are so many writers that you can see. Uh, who are tackling that or who are thinking of tackling mm. that and stuff like is there always something that you can take aim at like homelessness do you think that it's good for a writer to kind of think about these and make the reader think about these honestly I don't think art has any effect on politics in modern Irish society and I well not a lot in any case Um Honestly, that's how I feel, you know, just in my political orientation, that's how I feel. I feel that change happens because 
people come together and create social movements and they interact with institutions and the state and stuff like that. Art has its place to play in that. But I don't think, like, I don't. I honestly don't think we need a poem about Repeal the Eighth. What we need is, we need a social movement made up of working class and middle class feminists to push the state forward on this issue. Um, for me, I don't feel I write about issues per se, what I think is that I am aware of what's going on in the world and I myself have a political orientation that runs deep and that is older than my writing self. You know what I mean? So everything I do is motivated, not motivated by that, but informed by that. So I am not... I just know that I'm not going to write something about a lonely teenage college student or something like that. That's not my... That's not my bag. That's not where I position myself in my life or in my work. Uh, the world is very big and exciting and I plan to uh, reflect that. Um, Costello's in the book is the shortest story, I think 17 pages, and it covers over 500 years of a family's like hist- like line. Cool. Uh, I, also, I also found it uh, probably the hardest story to follow. Yeah. I, I was like, what is go and now it's gone on a hundred years and stuff. Like yeah. like was that difficult to write? Or did, was it like no. an hour it was over with? No, that was um that was two two hour sessions and then you know what I mean, it would be two two hour sessions where I got to I think I got from like was it fifteen seventy two to about nineteen ninety in the first session and then the next day I went back and did nineteen ninety to uh 2111 I think it ends something like that um I'm sorry to hear you found it hard to follow well I I think that I was I was just kind of reading it kind of slightly fast or something like it, that it has it like, has a fast pace yeah and it, it's supposed to kind of drag you along fast but now that's a shame now because I wanted it to be that you accepted its premises and that you didn't try to hold on to anything like you accepted the skips between like people and 50 years and stuff like that I think I think it was just like oh we're into the next person and the next person and I I think that it's more like the I don't know if it's the ambition of it or something that I was like Jesus is this is going along at a mighty yeah. mighty pace or something It clips along. Yeah. It clips along. Well, yeah, I understand. Um, obviously, I sympathise if it, if, it, if it's hard to follow. Like that's that's on me. That's not on you. Um. Well, no, I mean, I, I would probably go back and reread it, and I'd be like, oh, actually, this makes a lot more sense. I, I think it might be the type of thing that does make more sense to me on second reading. I think it does make sense. Personally, I think it does make sense. But once again, that's no excuse if people find it hard to understand. That's one thing actually that's very important to me is that this book is very readable and kind of very accessible. That was like a very important thing in its instruction. Uh, in its construction, that was like one of the main things I kept in in my eye. Um, it's part of you, whatever. So I, I guess... Uh, maybe I should have asked it earlier, but like, do you enjoy kind of talking about your own work or about like the stories that you have out there? It's very interesting. It's very interesting. I never done it before. Um, Like, you know, you've been writing for seven or eight years or I have been writing fairly consistently kind of for seven or eight years and you'd be begging people to read your stuff, absolutely begging them. And then you have a book out and some people connect with it and they kind of want to ask you about it. And it's very interesting 
it's very, very interesting, um, the questions and stuff like that. And I think it's been fun for me because it made me interrogate myself in a way I didn't do when I actually wrote and edited the book. You know what I mean? Um, just like what, why you wrote a story or what you were well, trying to tackle? or No, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, you write something and you write it because you have an idea in your head or you have a vision or an image that you want to do. And then you get all these feelings of joy and emotion and then you edit it for years. And then someone goes, oh, did you do this because of this? And you kind of, you don't know. You're like, maybe I did, maybe I didn't, <laughs> you know. But it is, it's interesting to be interrogated on it because writers, I think anyway, they're on their own for so long that you kind of, you always, you should always have someone else's perspective in your head. Um, and it's really interesting now to be getting that back. You know what I mean? Do, do you get people coming up and saying, oh, you write really like, you know, this writer, that writer. And you're like, I've never read them before. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, like I, wonder, I don't know if the last story, have you had people talking about, oh, Cormac McCarthy, The Road, yeah. something like that? No, yeah. I haven't. No? This is why this, I'm being very happy about this, actually, because no two influences people see in my work are the same. And it's very exciting. No two influences? Yeah, well, I... No, I can't think so. Like, so some people would say like being born is like William Golding. Other people would say it's like Philip K. Dick and stuff like that. Now, you've said Cormac McCarthy. I never heard that before. But I think, honestly, I understand it because when you're reading something and you're trying to explain it to someone else, you have to name a third writer that's better known. I do it myself. Like if I were to recommend, um, I don't know, whatever writer to you, I'd say, oh, they're like this and that. Uh I love it. I think it's great fun. I think it may, it's like we're all in this big universe together and there's all these like hidden links between people. I think it's really exciting. Um, you mentioned the uh, just a little bit ago just how you kind of start writing a story. It just starts with like an image or something like that, is it? Mm, well, it depends. Um, so like do you, do you sit down and just write kind of free write or something like that and then you see you find something interesting and you take it from there or... With me, kind of like there would be, I think in now the last year or two, I've been very strong on, I have an idea, like an idea of maybe a scene or an idea, like maybe a conceptual idea. And then once that tags up with a style, like for me, I need to have a style to go with a piece. I don't like have my, I don't have a style I write in and I don't want to have it either. So once you match up a style to a voice, to an idea, then you just like run with it. You just go, 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 go. You know what I mean? And then come back later and see what's happened. Um, and so how, what's your kind of your writing day like? Is it just kind of sit down, write for hours? And- now it is because I'm in a project now which, you know, I had my idea in the past. I had my style. I had my voice. So now it's just the slog. Now I do like, because I'm, I'm very lucky. I got the Arts Council grant, so I'm not working for three or four months. Uh, so now it's just, you know, up at half seven, at the computer at half eight, right until I go blind at about half 12, take a two or three hour break and then um, edit until, you know, somebody comes home or something like that um, and I can do that maybe four or five days a week now am I producing anything good probably not <laughs> but you've, once you have an opportunity to write all the time you've got to take it you can't be messing around you know I've, I've waited my whole life to have three or four months off to write so I'm just going to keep doing it 
Um, I'm always like, I always find it fascinating that writers kind of know what they're writing is probably like 90% shite or something like mm, that. And you, yeah. you're that's writing a, that's probably the, the right percentage. <laughs> yeah. Is it, it like when you start writing, do you think like everything that I'm going to write is gold or do you realize very quickly, like you just have to keep plugging on and you have to keep writing when you don't want to? Well, you have to develop an eye. Like that's what, that's the difference between a good writer and someone who's not is not that you write good stuff all the time. It's that you have an eye and you recognize it. And like halfway through a sentence, you can go, oh, what am I doing? Like, what am I actually doing with my life? <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's it. Like, it's not like you might have, I think in a writer's life, you will have days where you're on fire, but they will be padded out by a lot of days when you're a soggy, wet blanket, you know, doubting yourself and stuff like that what does what holds you together the the thing that holds you together on both those different kind of days is your ability to recognize it to recognize what you are on that day like your eye is your taste you know like that kind of thing it's like you know musicians when they hear a a a, a bad note or something like that you don't hit the good notes all the time. You're just able to recognize the bad ones. And sometimes if you're really lucky, you get something you don't understand. And you're like, I don't know if this is good or bad. And maybe it's a new kind of thing. You know what I mean? And I think that's a skill you develop via a massive amount of reading and a lot of writing. Do you do, you do a lot of reading as well? Yeah. I mean, you should be... I t- personally... I'm very uncomfortable now because for the first time in my life, I'm writing more than I'm reading. It was never like that before. I'd, I'd, I'd write maybe for an hour a day and I'd read for three hours a day. So now it's, it's kind of switched. But I would, uh, I would be, I, I mean, that's all I, that's my main pleasure in life is reading. And do you read to kind of inform the work or is it just reading for pleasure, reading, you know, something that's been recommended? Well, I get nervous if I don't read for a day or two, you know, like I don't feel settled in my soul or something like that. Yeah, naturally it informs the work. It's what inspires you to want to do something. Does every book I read inspire me? Mm, Even if I love it, it might not inspire me, but you definitely kind of get, you know, like, Every now and again, there might be, you know, a couple of pages in a book and you're going like, shit, if I could do that, if I could do that now, uh, and then you might try and copy that style. But you're never able to fully copy someone else's style because then you're a satirist or, you know, a robber or something like that. If it it fuses with a new kind of style, then you might get something new. But no, I don't, I don't read to inform uh, my writing. Reading comes first and it always has for me. Do you have any like kind of favorite writers that you would like there you would like to try and emulate their style or like I like mm. I mean the Hierophants I I think it's very easy to label it Flan O'Brien esque. Yeah. I don't know if that was intentional or whether you're a massive whether you're a big fan. Uh I love At Swim Two Birds. I love the third policeman. I love on Bale Booked. Uh See, for me, I would have thought that would be much more informed by kind of like the 19th century English detective novels. You know what I meant? Like kind of Wilkie Collins would have been a big, big influence on that. You don't really know, like, it's kind of, I think with that one, it's what your sense of humour is like. So my sense of humour has shifted. And I think my sense of humour back when I wrote Hierophants was much more Monty Python, much more Flann O'Brien. I see it now. I kind of see it, you know? Like I even read, last month there, I read... (laughs) 
uh, for the first time I read The Name of the Rose, you know, by Umberto Eco. Have you ever read it? Oh, uh, no, no. He's one of the guys who I'm like, I've got to, got to read yeah, some of it's, his it's stuff. It's really, oh man, it's, it's great crack, that book. But even when I was reading that, I was like, shit, I stole from this through... I, oh, <laughs> I, had, I never read it but you were definitely like you know there's these shared themes there's even a slightly kind of shared sense of humour as well I think yeah there. um yeah the, like I always feel like oh, I'm getting through a good few books now I've read a good few books this year and then suddenly like you see all these new names and you're like I've never heard of Umberto Eco I've never heard of <laughs> Gunter Grass you know I've only read one Hemingway and I feel yeah, yeah, yeah. you feel almost uh, inadequate that's all you need lad you almost feel <laughs> inadequate as a writer or some or as a as a reader or something. You're like, Will I, will I ever get to the end sort of thing of yeah, all? Well of you it? won't. You won't. That's a lot of joy in it as well. Um discovering Yeah, yeah. Honestly now I don't read a, a massive amount of, of new stuff. It would be more like, you know, what's on sale there, you know, and then you'd be looking at the publishing house kind of as well. Um Oh, sorry, I forgot the question. What am I talking about? I don't think that there was a question. There was a no question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, about the um, influences, styles I wanted to emulate. I love exploring different styles, exploring different styles and different voices and different slang and different kinds of language and stuff like this. And um, you pick up little bits here and there. My main concern, I suppose, in styles I want to emulate would not be so much the style as so much like the kind of confidence of certain writers or their characters. So say, for example, uh, my favorite book is Stendhal, The Charter House of Parma. And he has about, he has four characters in that novel that if I ever created a character half as alive as they are, you know, I die happy, that kind of stuff. So there are like, there are the, the high points you want to hit. And then there might be um, other stuff like, um, big influence on me about two years ago when I started Hostages was a sci-fi author called Kim Stanley Robinson. And he had, in his book, he had a conversation about politics between like 12 different characters. And I read it. I was like, I've never read anything like this before. Because when the moment you hear politics in a book, you're just going, somebody please shoot me in the head. You know what I mean? And he animated it and he made it feel like the most vital thing and like that kind of like making ideas live like that, that would be something. So there's those kind of things. There's the bars you set up high for yourself uh, that you kind of want to hit, you know, like in terms of construction, like George Eliot's uh, Middlemarch, you could study your whole life how that book is constructed. You know what I mean? Like those would be high things. They're like, you know, so that's what I think I'd borrow from other people. Did you um, study English or writing in uh, college? Yeah, definitely. I would, uh, yeah. I really studied it and I really, really loved it. And I probably, for a, uh, for about maybe two or three years there, I wanted to be a literary critic more yeah. than I wanted to be a writer. <laughs> and uh, so you, Trinity? Trinity, that's it. Writing, I don't know what the, I don't know what the courses are called. Um, English literature. And I did English literature and I did French language, which included French literature. So English literature, it's like, like I'd, I did arts in UCC so I don't know is it kind of a similar type of thing like you're kind of doing almost a crash course in like yeah. the romantic age yeah. Chaucer we didn't did we have Chaucer I think we had a a middle English period which would have included Chaucer like Gawain the knight um, what's his name Thomas Mallory so we, mm -hmm. we would have had that a kind of broader version of that but we had all those courses Shakespeare 
Shakespeare. Well, I chose Shakespeare. I chose every Shakespeare elective I could get. Really? Ah, yeah. Why? Same thing I was talking about with Stendhal is like, what characters are alive? What characters mean something? What characters want something more than anyone you've ever met, maybe? In a, another book, um, Shakespeare. He's the he's he's the lad. I, I came across really like <laughs> you wanted to study Shakespeare because yeah. I was I was talking with a friend yesterday and she was just saying like uh, just the way that English is taught in school, mm. you know, um, about drama sort mm. of thing. You know, I, I was just saying that oh yeah, the new season at the Abbey looks quite good, and I'm like oh, I suddenly feel like an adult. You know, I kind of want <laughs> I want to go to the Abbey. I want to go to see you know like these new plays, and she's like. Just what are we taught at school? We're just taught Shakespeare over and over again when, you know, mm. you could be taught new stuff. And I, I guess that's why I'm like, you wanted to study Shakespeare? Yeah, I don't. I, I'd be. Um, no, I think like we have to study old stuff. I don't think I don't think any. I think everywhere, everything else in our culture is like about the destruction of history. And it's really nice to have Shakespeare. Now, honestly, in fairness, I don't know if like 100,000 working class children every year should be taught Shakespeare. Not that they won't love it or that they'll hate it or something like this, but I do believe that um, our English language courses at a young age should be more participative and more creative. Uh, but honestly, uh, there has to be a mix between the old and the new. And I'd say not a lot of people respond to Shakespeare, but if you do, you'll kind of end up responding to his work your whole life and you'll never stop responding to it. And, and you really enjoyed um, the Trinity course as well? Loved it. Uh, loved it. Yeah. Especially the last year when you get to cho- choose what you're going for. That was like, I was just, I mean, can you, can you believe this? Is that you're just there and they just want you to read stuff and you just get to read literature and you're sitting around reading and that's your life for yeah. a year. I, th- I think that I probably <laughs> just didn't enjoy it because I don't, you know, you do art, you're not a hundred percent sure what mm. you want to do and everything. And just what we were being taught, like I hated it all. All you know? of it. Fair oh, play, man. man. I, I hated, <laughs> I just hated the romantic era, the... When did you, well, but you're into literature now. I mean, so, yeah. yeah it, so what was that? Was that the new stuff you responded to? Was that when I you kind of so, came yeah, out yeah. of it? That's I don't know. It seems like, it seemed... The way I think about it now, I think that it was almost a conscious decision that, oh, why don't I read more? And then I suddenly start reading more. Mm -hmm. And so, like, it's easier to kind of just pick up the paper every Saturday and just see, like, what are the new books? What's good? And look at the new books of the year list, you know, and just be like, oh, I should read that. And then it kind of goes from there. Whereas, like, I don't know if I'm that interested in the old stuff. That's fair. That's absolutely fair. I think like a lot of people are looking for art that responds to their own life or that they can recognize in their own time. And that's absolutely fair. Like, you know, you're a young man that's reading loads of Irish literature, new Irish literature. That's fucking unbelievable. And there's not many who went through English that go for it. You know what I mean? So it's just, you know. It's what you're into yourself. Yeah, Yeah, it kind of is. Like, I just like... I suppose I'd be a bit different in that way. Like, I'd be like, you know, I'll think I've made it as a writer if my book stays in print for 20 years. Up until then, like, I don't think, you know, I think that's how long it takes books to kind of land, honestly. Yeah. But that's really interesting now, because I would have been the absolute opposite. I would have thought, now, while one of my big loves is sci-fi and crime and more modern genres, um, like, I just, I would have been like, oh my God, you're letting me study something on uh, literature around the French Revolution. 
Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You know, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I'm a loser I'd, I'd like, be like that. What? Why are you yeah. study <laughs> Yeah, but I'm a loser. Like, I wanted to study uh, French literature and English literature since I was about 16 or 17. You don't want to be hanging around with a lad that wants to do that when he's 16 <laughs> or 70. should be sniffing bags of glue out the back, like, you know. <laughs> That's what happens afterwards. Yeah, yeah, after yeah. After you finish yeah. it, you're like, God, I need some, <laughs> I need some glue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I won't keep you too much longer. Oh, yeah. I wanted a. You, you mentioned before we started the interview that you've stopped making coffee at home and and, <laughs> and everything. Yeah, yeah. Is it because you're sitting at the computer for so long? It's just, yeah. you, you know, you don't, you want to sit, stay there. You don't want to have to get up every half an hour. And, no, or, or is it because you get jittery? You can't get jittery? Well, or? I mean, you, I got, well, I'm at a new stage in my life where I'm just at home writing and it's only been two months and it might only last another two or three months. But you need to break it up. You need to go outside. You need to go for a walk. You know what I mean? You can't stay between your room and your kitchen looking at a screen for more than six hours. You'll go insane. You'll, you'll, you'll go insane. You have to have little breaks built in. So that's why I do be buying coffee all over the place. Also, if you make a full pot of coffee, you have the whole thing. You're like, I need to go and run now. I just need to <laughs> yeah. run away. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're just buzzing in your <laughs> yeah, it's seat. like, you know, it's basically, I, I say if you drink that much coffee, it's the same as taking amphetamines or something <laughs> like that. Um, and finally, I guess, uh, what are you working on at the moment? Are you allowed to say? Am I allowed to say? Yeah, I'm absolutely allowed to say. <laughs> uh, I don't want to say though. <laughs> but no, no, no. I'm working on a novel. And it is going to be, I don't know, it might be 120,000 words, might cut it down from then, but it'll be also set in a kind of future thing in Ireland. Uh, it'll have different perspectives. And if it works, it'll be the best thing ever, but I don't <laughs> know if I'll make it work at all. So, yeah, watch this space. I'll definitely be another six months at it and then I'll go into the editing stage. But at the moment, I'm having a great time exploring these different voices and I'm doing a lot of research uh, for the topic. Uh, when you say like the word count there, 120,000 words, have you kind of like reached the end and that's kind of... No, 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 no. No, like, I'm projecting the different chapters because yeah. there's three interlinking voices and the kind of have to say at this stage they kind of have to say what they want to say in four chapters each and the chapters are coming out at between 8,000 and 12,000 words now I could say all this in one month I could tear all this apart and be like what was I thinking yeah. um, it's just going to be a short story <laughs> no yeah I have I have one or two I have one or two great short stories I kind of well I'm I say they're great it's not <laughs> pride or ego I, f I have to feel like they're great or I don't keep working on them so they're great for me because they're about me then they're blah 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 these ones go into the past more I have a great one that I've kind of finished editing now that I'm really happy with I don't know if anyone will ever see it but it's set in 1347 I think in me so that was a lot of fun to write <laughs> um, that's probably the good thing about just being a writer uh, in 2016 though that you know you have these short stories that you're kind of sitting on and there's so many outlets for you now. Like you can just publish them online if you want. You can, And there's so many lit journals around. Yeah, I'll have to look into that. Most of my stuff comes out at between 15,000, 25,000 words, the shorter stuff. So I'd be interested to see if there's any place that'll take this kind of stuff. That would be, you know what I mean? Like longer than a short yeah, story, yeah. which might be 3,000 to 6,000 words. Um, if there isn't, I'll just have to stack them up and publish another book of them. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Well, I look forward to it. And uh, yeah, congrats on a great year. Thank and you so much. I hope 2017 is as good to you. 
<laughs> no, it won't. This will be my rest and recuperation year. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe 2018 or 2019, <laughs> I'll be back with a bang. You know? cool. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Ashin. Thanks a million.